Welcome back. This is Raghu Banda, and this is our uh, monthly podcast on the topic of machine learning with SAP and SAP S4 HANA applications. Today, we are doing an interesting topic in the space of how or what kind of AI challenges are being faced by the enterprises and the enterprise customers, uh, and how do we deal with that? Uh, there are different ways of uh, how do we identify these different AI challenges and what kind of uh, scenarios we build. So in that context, I have invited two data scientists or two experts from the data science space from SAP. So sit back, relax and enjoy the conversation. Uh, and let us now dive into the conversation. All right, welcome back. This is uh, Raghu Banda. And today we have our uh, podcast session nine in season two. And here today I have two SAP experts and the topic today is AI challenges and building use cases in the enterprise space. So I welcome Yannick Frasch and Marco Hen from SAP. Yannick is a data science manager with the SAP S4 HANA development organization. He and his team are primarily responsible for driving strategic initiatives across the SAP S4 HANA solution area that help make AI as an integral constituent of ERP of tomorrow. Yannick has an academic background in the area of mathematical optimization and machine learning, and he has worked in different customer-facing roles where he helped companies leverage AI in their business processes before joining the SAP S4 HANA development organization. And then we have Marco Hen. Marco is a senior machine learning engineer with the SAP S4 HANA development organization. He is responsible for driving AI prototyping and development projects across the organization and which makes future versions of SAP S4 HANA leverage the state of the art in AI. Marco brings very extensive business process knowledge from his time as an SAP consultant paired with an academic background in software engineering and data science. So welcome uh, Yannick and welcome Marco. So over to you uh, Yannick, I welcome you uh, and maybe you could provide some um, real world experience before this is how we generally get onto this podcast. I've asked my guests who get on board to provide some kind of a real world experience of machine learning, which in fact has uh, helped them in the past or what are the things that have uh, gone through their uh, experiences? Yeah, absolutely, Raghu. Um, and uh, hello to everyone out there. It's really a great pleasure to be here and um, yeah, all excited uh, about the topic of today. So um, since you asked about uh, a real world experience of machine learning, um, Actually, if I, well, if I carefully think about it, there are probably even dozens of application areas out there um, that not only I, but, but actually many of us use uh, in our daily life. And um, well, if I think about it, one of uh, the favorite of one of my favorite examples uh, is actually a classic one, it's the email spam filter. Um, it actually has become such a standard um, and uh, you know, the, the performance of email spam filters has become really so good that sometimes I completely even forget about that they exist. But then, you know, if I think back about like 10 years or so, um, 
you know, email spam was really a nuisance back then. Um, but basically today, if I compare in, in comparison, right, um, you know, based on how I and uh, of course millions of other email users, how we all flagged spam emails, um, we actually saw that uh, you know the the machine learning models behind uh, these spam filters they've really become so good uh, these days that uh, you know you might even be uh, be able to argue that uh, the problem of spam is solved these days. And this is really for me that's a great uh, success uh, story um, of of a machine learning application. But um, actually, since you asked for one example, uh, let me actually take the opportunity and, and give you a different uh, example as well, because I think really, as I said in the beginning, there are so many out there, right? So I think the email spam is a classic one, but then, you know, if you think about uh, driving your car, so many cars these days have features like lane assist. Uh, that's another one, right? It's, uh, many of us use this in our daily life to, you know, um, improve safety uh, in our daily travel. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's another classic example of machine learning, which is really well adopted these days. And uh, well, even if I think more to my, my business life, uh, for example, in the days before the pandemic, when I, when I used to travel a lot, uh, one thing I really liked is uh, the, the invoice scanning feature of SAP Concur, you know, where it could just take a picture of my invoice and then it automatically extracts uh, the data of that invoice and, you know, makes it, uh, creates a receipt for it such that I can hand it in then later on. So really there are so many examples out there and, uh, you know, really machine learning, um, you know, has made a tremendous impact already. And um, yeah, so it's, it's really great uh, that, you know, we have this podcast, you have this podcast and we have the opportunity um, to, to, to talk more about this today. Thank you, uh, Yannick. I think that's some great examples that you have quoted. Yeah, I keep forgetting that, yes, email spam is, email filtering and email spam is one of those early day machine learning examples. And that's a great way to put it. Uh, over to you, uh, Marco. Uh, again, welcome to the podcast as well. Before we start on the uh, meat of the conversation, maybe I think, could you also, I'm again putting the same question back to you as well. Uh, could you also provide any real world experience of using machine learning, how things have changed for you uh, using these, uh, any kind of real world experience? Yeah, sure. And uh, thanks a lot again also from my side, Rago, for having us here. So I think uh, Yannick already gave a lot of um, great examples. I would like to only echo one of it, definitely. So this is the Conquer Invoice Scanning app. So I also really liked using that as a consultant back then. So as you can see, that solution really had a, a great impact on, on us as SAP employees. Um, if I think a little bit more about my private life, one thing I'm using heavily currently is uh, the topic of voice assistant. So I really enjoy managing my smart home applications with that, but also, for example, just put, just put something on my shopping list when it uh, pops into my mind. So that's really a convenient uh, function for me. And um, yeah, I really also like back then, I think a couple of years ago in, in our team, we worked on how actually we can bring such concepts to the enterprise domain. So in a digital assistant fashion, and yeah, I really enjoyed working on those topic. And I think that's exactly also one of our tasks right? to really bring those info innovation also into the enterprise. Thanks, Marco. I think that was a great example as well. Uh, the voice assistant app applications uh, that we have, which we use in a daily life. Uh, nowadays, it's become quite common for us that we use that, those kind of applications a lot. So maybe what we'll do, we'll take a quick uh, pause or a quick break and then come back and get into our main meat of the conversation of today's topic.
All right, welcome back. So now let us continue into the topic of our conversation and let us get into the, now that we are done with the introduction part, let us go into the main topic, the AI challenges, and the building the use cases in the enterprise space. So coming back to you, uh, Yannick, maybe let me start with this question. Uh, what is the big motivation of using AI or artificial intelligence or machine learning in SAP S4HANA? Maybe provide some thoughts around that. Um, yeah, well, this is actually a really great question to ask. It's always good to, to start with a question of why. Now, um, well, about the motivation of, of AI in S4HANA. Um, so, so typically, if, if you think a bit bigger about, uh, about what is happening out there in the industry, um, well, there are currently uh, at least two main themes right, that, are, that are driving the industry. Um, the first one is actually all around um, that users of enterprise software, they are at the same time consumers. And if you think about the consumer space, um, you actually see that um, also in our introductory examples, by the way, for example, I think going back to, to Mirko's example that he gave about the, the voice assistant, um, uh, in, the, in the consumer space, uh, you know, many consumers, many users, um, they are used to working on a daily level with um, AI already. And now increasingly they expect that they get the same behavior that they get in the consumer space. Um, they, they expect that they also get this in the enterprise space. So in the end, they're looking out for, uh, you know, when they work with software, they're looking out uh, for the, the same kind of features, uh, for the same kind of uh, smooth experience that they know uh, from their life as a consumer and they want to work with enterprise software, it just works in the same way. And this is one of the core themes, you know, that is driving the enterprise world and with that, of course, also as for HANA and in general ERP solutions. The second aspect, um, that, that I want to, to, to stress here, that I think is important to stress here, is um, that uh, besides the whole topic of uh, user interaction, um, there's more of a, also more fundamental issue, which is all about business models. So if you think about it, um, actually, you know, what, what companies uh, have become big in the, in the past uh, couple of years, you see a lot of uh, companies, um, you know, that, uh, that actually have, taken on AI at the core of the business model. So if you, for example, think about Spotify, right? That recommends, um, you know, uh, or suggests music to you in a, in a personalized fashion. If you think about Uber, if you think about Netflix, if you think about uh, all these, um, you know, online shopping portals and so on, um, you know, all of these, um, they, they have really AI at the core of their business model. And this is something, you know, that incumbent enterprises um, they, uh, they observe, of course, and they also need to react to it, right? So if there's a newcomer, if there's a new kid on the block um, that has AI at the core of the business model, the incumbents, they need to react. And this is, you know, when they, when they uh, also turn to their software vendors and, um, you know, ask, what is it that you can support um, with? How can you help us reshape our uh, business model? How can you make us transform our business model uh, to such an AI-first business model? And um, again, this is, this is, this is another, um, I believe, a very crucial motivational factor uh, that, is, that is driving the industry. Mm, ultimately, you know, if, um, um, if, if you think about where AI plays a role in companies, right, or in enterprise software, um, it's really, um, ultimately it pays towards um, two of the most central goals that companies have. Um, on one hand, driving efficiency gains, and on the other hand, increasing effectiveness. So in some sense, 
Um, well, AI helps companies to, to do the same things as they did before, but do it a bit more efficient, uh, effectively, sorry, efficiently. So it helps them save time. It helps them uh, save resources, such as material scraps. It helps uh, companies save costs. And um, so, so that's all on the, on the uh, efficiency side. But then at the same time, um, AI also helps them to increase effectiveness. And that means basically, um, you know, that AI can also help companies uh, do things that they haven't been able to do before, such as, uh, for example, reaching new customer segments, uh, you know, that they weren't able to target before, or maybe even generating new offerings. So maybe something like individualized products or uh, reaching new levels of quality in, in the service offerings or in the products. So all of this, these are aspects that, that uh, AI can help with. And this is increasingly being asked um, from, from customers. And uh, this is really the strong suit of AI. And that's basically the motivation of what is driving us at uh, SAP S4HANA, um, you know, where we strive towards uh, with our software development. That's a nice way of putting it, uh, Yannick. I think I, I like the way you have uh, put it across uh, how the uh, enterprise uh, customers expect the same kind of experience when they are dealing with, when you know the common man is dealing a lot with these uh, consumer related companies and the consumer related applications that we have. So that was a wonderful uh, introduction with the motivation of uh, AI in S4, uh, Yannick. So maybe uh, let us dive a bit further into that. Can you explain or help explain our audience about the general challenges in building AI? in the enterprise context. I know this is gonna be a little or quite different from the consumer space. There are a lot more things that you need to take care of uh, when we are dealing with enterprise space since we also need to consider the consumers of our enterprises that are using the software and machine learning and AI. So there are a lot more things that we need to take care. So maybe could you provide some thoughts around that, uh, Yannick? Uh, sure, absolutely, uh, Raghav. Really. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, again, a really great question because, um, and, and you, you probably also gave part of the answer already, right? There is quite some difference if you think about enterprise software and compared to consumer software. Um, so maybe one of the, one of the cr uh, crucial aspects or one of the central aspects is um, actually, if you think about enterprise software, uh, it always needs to serve an existing business process, right? So obviously, um, you know, enterprises, they work these days already, right? They have existing processes in place. And this is something we need to take into account. Of course, um, these, these processes, they are evolving, um, but um, due to their complexity, due to the complexity of these processes, um, they are not evolving as instantly as things are changing sometimes in the consumer space, right? So there are some really massive trends that are sometimes incredibly fast in the consumer space. And typically what we see in the enterprise world is that things are, tend to be a bit more slowly uh, also because of the complexity. And what this means for enterprise software is that, um, well, in the enterprise world, um, actually there happens a lot of customization um, to fine tune software. And really, so make the software, adapt the software to the exact needs of, of one company, of one enterprise. So even if, you know, you buy one product, typically um, you, you add a lot of, um, let's say fine tuning um, when, you, when you introduce the software in the company, so that really fits uh, your processes, it really fits uh, uh, your purposes. And this is actually something that's quite a bit different from the consumer space, where you have even um, standardization of much higher degree. Um, and where you sometimes even see, you know, that uh, introducing a new software or new app 
um, you know, uh, really defines radical changes in behavior. So this is something that you, um, you know, where uh, you have many applications, you have many softwares out there in the, uh, in the consumer space. And, um, you know, some of them, they just, um, well, enforce kind of a completely different behavior of users. Um, but then some of them, you know, they are successful and consumers or users completely change behaviors and others, they are not successful. In the enterprise software, um, due to these uh, a bit more rigid processes, um, actually, this is something, uh, you know, where, uh, where more the software needs to adapt to um, well, the processes that are given or uh, the, the, the speed at which the processes evolve. And um, sure, uh, this is, uh, you wanted to say something, Raghu? Yeah, so uh, I was trying to get in, um, maybe, uh, maybe this is the right time to get some thoughts about uh, the enterprise space and the consumer space since we are talking about it. Maybe Marco, could you also provide uh, some thoughts around this concept that we are discussing uh, so that we can uh, steer our discussion? Sure, definitely. Um, so basically, I just would like to to outline again, I think um, Yannick also partially mentioned it, that we really have kind of two different worlds that we have to approach, right? So first, the world of the users that are the kind of the consumers and they are quite convenient with, with a lot of AI that they know from, from, from the consumer space and therefore have a certain expectation how they want to interact with the software. And on the other side, actually the world of the processes um, that uh, really change much slower, right? So it's really the processes that connect basically these people with infrastructure materials, but also certain regulations. And um, yeah, that's changing a lot slower than actually the people are changing their behavior. So that's why it's always important to, to keep track and really also be aware of those uh, two different worlds that naturally evolve um, at different speed. Okay. And maybe, that's, yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Yannick. Absolutely. So um, since we talked a lot about now the, the world of uh, processes, maybe just wanted to bring in a completely different aspect to the game, right? Because, um, which I think is, is equally important to consider when you think about the differences between um, the, the consumer space and the enterprise space. And this is actually how you acquire data. So um, if, you, if you think about the consumer world, so what a lot of applications uh, or apps do is um, they basically ask for user consent um, to collect a lot of data, to record a lot of data, and based off that data, um, you know, they, they train machine learning models and generate new offerings. And, um, you know, this is, this is something, this is very common. Um, and uh, because you have direct exposure to your user, this is um, something you can also directly ask for, right? So you can directly ask the user for consent or, uh, or, or non-consent uh, to, to collecting uh, this data. In the enterprise space, actually, if you if you think about it, um, uh, getting the user consent is not as easy as in the consumer space. So um, this is partially due to the fact that uh, data is, uh, in some cases, a lot more sensitive, right? So you really have to consider data sensitivity and, um, of course, all the well the contractual obligations, but also the legal obligations that come with it. And um, well, you also have to think about, particularly if uh, when you're considering European company, uh, companies, for example, but generally across the world, this is, uh, this is playing an increasing role. Um, you have to consider um, like works councils and other uh, social partners, right? Which um, in the end, you're not directly negotiating with, but nevertheless, they have an impact on 
um, you know, what they permit um, employees, what kind of software they permit employees to use and uh, or not to use. And um, so, so generally, I think um, that's that's just another very important aspect I wanted to stress, right? So the, the collection data collection processes um, uh, is, is a lot different uh, when you when you compare the enterprise world from the consumer uh, world. That's that's some great uh, conversation. Uh, I think uh, we are getting into uh, Yannick and Mirko. I think uh, uh, let us take a quick uh, break and then come back and now. Uh, take these questions in a different way about how traditional software engineering and AI come into play. So let me take a quick uh, break and then we'll continue. Welcome back. Uh, so we are into the middle of our conversation and we have been uh, having, having some great conversation with our SAP guests. Uh, Marco and Yannick. So coming back uh, where we left off, Yannick, uh, we were discussing about the enterprise space and the consumer space. Maybe uh, let us try to get a bit more and explain the audience about the core differences between these traditional software engineering and AI. And can you shed some thoughts around the same? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, if you if you think about uh, AI and AI software engineering, um, I mean, one very crucial aspect, and I think this uh, probably most of your uh, of your audience out there, you're all aware of that, right? Um, so, it's really that AI software engineering is all about data, right? It's super data centric, and this is something um, where I believe really the, the core difference lies between traditional software engineering and uh, AI software engineering or particular machine learning based software engineering, because um, this uh, basically means um, that uh, even though, of course, also in traditional software engineering, you work in a highly iterative uh, way, you, you even more so need to do this in, uh, in the world of AI, because in the end, um, before, uh, you know, you can even um, start the first line of, of productive code, uh, you need to have a look at a product of customer data first, right? So you have this increased cycle where um, you need to acquire a product of customer data, investigate, you know, what is the relationship, what is the behavior uh, that you're observing in this data, and then, um, you know, make uh, software engineering decisions based off that. So, um, for example, choosing different algorithms, right, based on what you observe in the data, um, doing a feature engineering possibly based on what you observe in the data, uh, tuning uh, parameters, whether you do it manually or whether you do it in an automated way based on what you observe in this data. But all of this, you know, is, is only possible after you had a look at productive customer data or um, based off a productive customer data. And this is really uh, quite, quite a bit different from, from digital software engineering, where a lot of the complexity lies in, um, let's say, finding the right rules and, and finding, let's say, the right um, well, algorithms or uh, uh, writing writing the correct logic um, to solve a specific business problem in the right way. And in some sense, if you think about now the, the AI world, um, a lot of this complexity actually is shifted away from um, the design of the specific rules and the design of uh, the, the actual program logic towards um, um, a data-centric approach and how, to, how do you prepare data best? How do you wrangle data the best way such that you can uh, make it fit into standardized algorithms that kind of uh, create this coding, create this logic for you, and then self essentially solve the business challenge that you have for you. 
So um, a lot about uh, AI software engineering is that it's a lot more implicit um, if you compare it uh, to traditional software engineering, um, where again, traditional software engineering, you have this explicit way of, of uh, you know, coding rules and, and, and uh, writing up logic. And again, AI, it's about um, doing this in an implicit way and uh, you know, wrangling data, structuring data in the right way, such that you can make use of these super efficient um, machine learning libraries that are out there. Mm -hmm. I think I I, I think uh, I like the way you put the differences. Explain the key differences, Yannick. I think uh, that's a very well. Uh, put out uh, about the traditional software engineering and how data is the key in the AI world. Uh, so maybe now let me steer the discussion a bit into the use cases or the customer requirements or the use cases where how we can help the audience a bit more. So Marco, maybe could you help uh, explain the audience uh, what is the process uh, that we follow in coming up with a good use case, or maybe how do you come up with a good use case at the first place? Yeah, definitely, Raghu. So I think, um, but it's very important at the very beginning when you when you have some first ideas on, around possible use cases, it's really to to get a holistic view on the actual pain points of the users. So this is really where everything starts. So. There you should ideally really gather this firsthand from the end users. So really the persons who on a day-by-day -day basis have to deal with a certain business process and really kind of feel the pain on, on a regular basis. So it's, and that's really important so that you get this in an unfiltered fashion so that you then, um, yeah, really can think about how to best um, approach this, this, this issue. And here we made some very good experience, for example, um, by applying design thinking methods. So there's, for, for example, something like shadowing, where you really sit next to the end user and 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 follow the the, the whole behavior of the user um, throughout the system. And quite often, it's not only the, the enterprise system, right, the EUP system, but maybe it's also some additional Excel things to fill out, some some mail to write. So it's really important that you get this um, holistic picture on, on the problem space. And as mentioned, and if you do this correctly, you really stay objective, right? So you don't think already about some potential solutions. So you just listen and understand the, the problem space. And what's important that it's not like, for example, you as an ML engineer, you already think about where you can bring in machine learning and then you maybe unexpectedly you steer the, the conversation or the analysis into maybe a certain direction that uh, doesn't really uh, fit in the end. Because what's very important, and I think that's, that's also something Yannick um, talked about, right? That machine learning in the end um, is quite, um, yeah, it's quite hyped currently. So it has a lot of potential also, but in the end, it's one tool in the toolbox of a lot of possible solutions, right? So and sometimes, it might be that a, a simple rule-based approach might already be a very good fit for your um, business problem. Yeah, so that's, in my opinion, the, the first important topic. And then if you got a good understanding of the actual pain, you also should capture how business experts actually address the issue as of today. Because actually, pretty much for all business challenges that are there, right, uh, there is already some kind of practical approach to deal with it right um, and this as of today could be without machine learning but there is for sure some kind of best practice 
how experts um, deal with the issue. And this is then kind of a baseline, right? Um, so how, how you would interact and, and act to the, the problem. And this baseline, so without machine learning, you should definitely also formalize and then take as benchmark for any new process. So if you think then about adding machine learning to it, you should always compare what you can reach with machine learning against what is already against those countermeasures that are already in place without machine learning. Because this in the end then also helps to really judge the value of a machine learning based solution. Because, and that's also for sure very important, you should only invest into use cases or, or, or areas where you really see an added value compared to what we have as of today. And I know it's sometimes not easy to really formalize and quantify this, but in our opinion, that's really a critical step um, moving forward to also then judge in the end whether you are successful with machine learning or not. Mm -hmm. I, I I really I really agree uh, with the way you put it, uh, Marco. The complete process about how do you identify and uh, pick up a particular use case uh, and lay it down. So maybe what we'll do, we'll take a quick break and come back, and then we can go into a, a bit more uh, examples uh, so that it gives a bit more understanding. Okay, coming back uh, to our conversation, uh, Marco, maybe uh, could you provide uh, with an example so that it can you can best explain the process about what we have been talking about on picking up the use case? Sure. Um, let's, for example, think about um, delays in deliveries of physical goods. So I think that's something um, that's quite present nowadays. Uh, if, if you also order something, in your private life, right? You you will expect that there's sometimes really unexpected de delays um, due to the COVID pandemic. And that's in the end, right? Because we have a lot of stress in supply chains currently. And that's for sure something that is very yeah, un unlikely. And in the end, as an end user, you really um, expect basically that the, the deliveries are on time, right? So really that, that um, the companies meet the expected delivery date. So from an uh, company or enterprise perspective, those unexpected delays really might, may cause a drop in customer satisfaction. But in some areas, especially when it's a B2B area, you might even be faced with uh, severe contract penalties, right? So that's really something you want to avoid. And that's why a supplier might ask, um, for example, us at SAP, right? Can we make use of machine learning to really get on top of these issues and know upfront if a shipment is at risk? for delay or yeah, so that we can prioritize potential countermeasures like ramp ramping up um, or increasing the stock upfront or yeah, searching for additional suppliers, for example. So this could be um, yeah, quite a, a valid use case, right? And then, so if you have something like that, right? first, as mentioned, first of all, you should really make sure that the scenario adds value and, and really quantify the expected business value. But then, at a very early stage, it's, it's, it's important to really get your hands on realistic customer data. So again, here I can only echo what, what Yannick said, data is key. And also what Hagi mentioned, without data, you, you, you really will not get closer to the solution because then it's really about validating whether you can solve the task with machine learning and especially with the data that you have at hand, right? So it could turn out that you 
based on the data are not able, then you, you should look for additional data points. Maybe you have to include data from outside the system. So that's then really the, 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 the journey that, that has to, has to start. And for us at SAP, we really try to co-innovate with a multitude of customers, right? Because we really want to make sure that what we deliver is applicable in various industries, region, region and, and, and processes in the end. And um, yeah, what we what we really also see in those um, validation phases that it's really a highly iterative process. So you start with an idea, build a first simple approach, then you try to get back with first results to some domain experts to really judge whether it works out. Then most likely you have to reshape what you built so far and really iteratively work on, on, on the machine learning models until you then reach a good practical model. Okay, that's a great example. I think uh, the way you have put uh, Marco. So we'll take a quick pause and then come back and uh, discuss more about uh, what exactly is an acceptable model uh, because we build a lot of these machine learning models and then be kind of infused into the business processes. All right, welcome back. So that's a very interesting conversation we are uh, going through. Uh, maybe I think, uh, Marco, so now that we have been discussing about uh, how we are building the model, uh, pick up the use case and how we are building the model, can, we, can you actually provide some thoughts about what exactly is an ac acceptable model or any thoughts that you could provide on that? Yeah, and actually, Raghu, uh, that's a very important question because um, for us at, at, as data scientists and machine learning engineers, right, we, we, we tend to also really um, yeah, stick to some very technical questions because we're also very enthusiastic about algorithms and so on, right? But one key um, skill that, that, that we, we also have to, um, to yeah, that we have, that we need is basically to really be able to translate the rather technical results that we get from the machine learning models on realistic customer data, that we're really able to translate this into a domain language or into a language that the actual business experts understand, right? Because they, in the end, have to judge, does this machine learning model help me or does it not, right? And if not, we for sure have to take another iteration, but that's really a crucial part. And if I, for example, refer again to this delivery delay use case. So if I would tell you as a domain expert that uh, the latest machine learning model has an MAE of 2.11, I'm pretty sure that the, you as a domain ex or business expert without some um, machine learning background would only look at me with huge question marks in, in your face, right? So that's totally the wrong level of, of, of having this conversation. But if, if I would now start rephrasing it, and for example, talking about it in a way that the model is on average approximately two days off. This already goes more into the direction of, of, of an easy understanding. And if you now also compare that with a well-known non-machine learning approach, so for example, if I would provide you some information like without machine learning, we are as of today on average 10 days off, then this starts to get into an area where you can really judge on, a, on the performance um, from a business perspective. So that's, yeah, that's why it's, it's, in my opinion, very important to, to have this translation from technical model results to some 
tangible business outcome of it. And um, another thing I would really like to to highlight in in, in our podcast because it's it's very crucial in my opinion is that um, whenever you think about applying machine learning in in a certain context, you really also have to think about the UX. So how will you incorporate the results basically on your UI? And from our experience, this really must go hand in hand, and it's quite often also underestimated. So then, first of all, you think about um, the machine learning solution, and then in the end, you you, you think how to integrate it. But they're really yeah, a tight, um, yeah, there's a tight interaction between those. That's why from the beginning, you should also always consider how you would then in the end present it to the user. So... Again, referring to, to the um, delivery delay example, for example, let's assume that we, we train a model, we try to predict really the exact days of delay, but we just find out it's, it's, it's very hard with the data that we have at hand. So if you would then just visualize those days on the UI, so something like this delivery will be 10 days off, but it will be total, it will not be uh, correct, then the user might really um, take wrong actions and in the end, you will really lose the trust in your solution and you will fail with the, with the solution because it's not used any longer. But maybe when you do your experiments, you find out, okay, I'm not able to predict the exact days, but my model is quite good in telling me whether a delivery will, will be too late or too early. So kind of a simpler task, but that we can really do with a certain confidence. And if you would now think it through, right? This would mean that on the UI, you, can, you would not present any longer any numbers, but you would rather have a high kind of a risk indication, right? Whether you have some, for certain uh, deliveries, a high risk of a potential delay. And this could now really add value for the business expert, right? Because whenever he gets this high risk sign, then he really knows that he has to act on it. And on the other hand, you will also, I mean, it also means, right, that some non, not on time shipments you will not get. And that's for sure unfortunate. But hey, sometimes, I mean, the information is just not in the data, right? So it, it, it can happen. But in these cases, the, the human expert can still take their own assess, assessment. But they are not confused with, for example, some wrong or misleading information that is provided by the machine learning algorithm. So, uh, Marco, I like the way you put and how you got the user design aspect while building these machine learning models and uh, building and uh, coming up with these accepted models. That's a great way you've put it. Uh, maybe I would also like to bring in Yannick at this point. Uh, would you like to add some additional thoughts around this, Yannick? Yeah, sure. Um, well, so, so, so really, I would like to build on, on what, what you just said, Marco. Right. So I think... Um, Generally, um, it, it's super critical uh, to consider how customer, how a user in the end will consume a machine learning scenario. And it's, I think it's super important to do this really right from the start. Um, and what this means, or what I mean by that is actually that, um, well, um, in, in enterprise machine learning, right, um, we really see now a trend uh, to, to more of a simplified consumption. Um, that is happening that we that we need to uh, take into consideration when we build scenarios. So what I mean by this is um, there's a there's a tendency uh, to emphasize machine learning scenarios that are really deeply integrated in the business processes. So really a, a fundamental part of the design of the business process. So not just something to add on, but really fundamentally integrate. 
And, and that's the important aspect here, um, there, there's a tendency to, um, you know, build these um, scenarios, build these models in a way that they are, so to say, uh, out of the box consumable. So really, right, um, let's say, without having to run a big implementation project or uh, you know, without having to, to hire your own data scientists first, um, you can consume these machine learning models right there at the customer in your uh, business process with a decent performance. And um, yeah, this is something you know that we we currently observe, and where customers you know they they increasingly expect that they directly get some benefits of a machine learning right from the start. Again, without having to to run these implementation projects first. And um, so when you now ideate uh, for possible use cases, and uh, as Mirko put it, right, so typically this is, this is the funnel approach, right? So you start with many, many ideas, but then only very few of these, you know, will actually make it into production. So when you, when you ideate for these use cases, um, uh, this, is, this is, again, an, an aspect that you have to take in mind. How, you know, um, um, how, how, will it, how will the scenario that I, that I plan on building now or that I'm ideating for, that I'm validating, how will it be, um, exposed to my users in the end, how will they consume it? Um, and then based off that, take certain decisions. So maybe take certain libraries that support this behavior or uh, take certain design decisions in the right way, such that, um, again, um, you, can, you can cater to these uh, demands of, of customers. Sure. That's a very nice way of putting it, uh, Yannick. So maybe uh, over to you, Marco. Do you want to provide any closing thoughts on this topic about creating this acceptable models with, uh, in the context of these use cases? Yeah, sure. So I think, um, I mean, what we learned, right, it's very important at the beginning to focus on the problem space to re then really also assess all your ideas and kind of a funnel approach to identify the ones that really add value. Then you really have to get your hands on data. You have to think about how you can also easily enable that in an out-of-the-box fashion. And um, yeah, then basically you kind of leave the, the model to the world and um, it really first at the first time um, gets then really the productive data to, to produce um, some, some acceptable results, hopefully. Um, and then you might think, right, now, now you're done. But actually in, in our opinion and our experience, right, that's, that's only the starting point. So from then on, you really have to continuously monitor the, the model performance and especially also continuously improve the solution, right? So there, it might be that the certain data distribution changes. So it's really about const constantly improving it, also retraining the model. And um, yeah, maybe one, one last sentence. So we also believe that the whole topic of AI ops, right? So really also the operational part is very essential in our opinion. That's a very great way of putting it, uh, Marco. Maybe I think uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll do come back and do some uh, closing remarks uh, uh, from both of you. So thanks uh, Marco and Yannick for the wonderful conversation uh, that we are having now. So before uh, we wrap up our uh, conversation for today, uh, could you provide some uh, outlook or closing remarks that can help our audience and customers or partners in this regard? Maybe Yannick, you can start uh, by providing your thoughts first and then I can go to Marco. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's really been a pleasure to be here today, Raghu. So I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. 
Um, well, in, in terms of, uh, let's say, closing remarks or final thoughts, um, let me put it this way. So um, I think even though it's been around for quite some time now, uh, enterprise machine learning is still in the process of gaining momentum. And um, so I think it's, it's, it's super important, you know, that we continue to talk about this topic and really uh, sharpen uh, the, the awareness of what this means in practice. And I, I think I would like to, to take um, really two, two uh, aspects right, that I would like to emphasize here. Um, so the, the first one is the whole aspect of, of data. I mean, I, I know I keep coming back to this, but it's, it's really important. It's really dear to my heart because this is, uh, uh, it's really front and center to every machine learning model. And um, I, I know to, to, to many of you out there who, who uh, uh, you know, apply machine learning themselves, you know, this may seem obvious, but um, basically what I would you know, like to stress here is that um, in practice, um, you know, already today at this point, we should start thinking about uh, the, all the machine learning scenarios that we could build tomorrow, right? And uh, we should, uh, you know, in the, in the world of enterprise software, start um, already collecting the data that we need for building these scenarios tomorrow, already today, because we know that it takes time, you know, to, to get the data right and, and collect the right data. Of course, when we all do that, I mean, this is, and this is equally important, right? We need to be super transparent in, uh, with that, right? We need to collect the data in a transparent kind of way. We need to, of course, do it within uh, the boundaries of, of our contractual obligations, of uh, within the boundaries of data protection laws and so on. This is this is super important, but nevertheless, I think um, it's it's important to to think about this today and um, and you know kind of enable the scenarios of tomorrow by um, you know de designing uh, the right and appropriate uh, data collection strategies into our software today, such that we are prepared um, for building even better scenarios tomorrow. And maybe. A second aspect, then a bit more into the direction of practitioners. What I um, can, well, what I, what I would really like to encourage you is um, to uh, get started with your own AI journey, uh, even today, right? So, if you think about what it means to introduce AI solutions uh, to your company's uh, processes, I think it's it's quite obvious that introducing this doesn't come without change, right? So um, when, you, when you really take the topic seriously, you need to, and you actually want to change your processes, right? Because that's of the core of the value uh, of what AI can, can add. So basically what this means for you in practice is that it's probably quite beneficial to start small and to start making your own experience of, of what it means to rework a business process, right? Rework it uh, based off um, or leveraging AI solution. And um, in, in that endeavor, every company has their own pace on this journey. But um, basically, uh, I encourage you to start early because you can take the learnings um, from transforming uh, the, the first business processes. And uh, these, uh, these learnings, they help you tremendously for, uh, trans uh, for you know, all the transformation that's yet to come uh, with all the AI scenarios of the future. But really starting early, this helps you gain speed because you, you really uh, you know, you know what works in transforming your company and, and what doesn't work. Thanks, uh, Yannick, uh, for providing those uh, nice closing remarks. And over to you, Marco, some closing remarks from you as well of, uh, so that our audience can get some more thoughts around that. Yeah, sure. And um, also from my, side, uh, uh, from my side, again, a big thank you for having us here. It was really a pleasure. So actually, I think it was already a quite good summary from Yannick. So actually not much to add from my side. Maybe only one thing that, I mean, we as SAP for sure are very happy, right, to accompany our customers on their machine learning journey to improve 
they are business processes in the end. And for that, we are also very happy to co-innovate also with our customers, right? To go on this journey together and in the end also drive our products forward together. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Yannick, and thank you, Marco. Thank you, Raghu. Thanks. Okay, let us now wrap up this uh, podcast nine in season two. I would first like to thank our uh, guests and data science experts, Yannick Frasch and Marco Hen, take out some time and sit with me in discussing the AI challenges and how, uh, what are the things that you could address and how you can identify some of these use cases and what kind of mechanisms you had to put in place when you are building these AI models. Like always, you can find more information about this at our um, SAP blogs, the blogs.sap.com. I'll also link this uh, podcast recording into these blogs. So you can go to blogs.sap.com and search search up my name, Raghubanda, and then you could uh, find these uh, uh, blogs in the podcast link to that. Alternatively, you could also find these uh, podcasts at the Google Podcasts or the other locations like Spotify, etc. You can always send feedback uh, at my Twitter handle, Akebanda, or send an email at uh, venkata.ragu.banda at sap.com. Thank you all for your time, wherever you are dialing in from or wherever you are tuning in from. Uh, happy predicting the future with SAP Technologies. Thank you.